As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that once again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would challenge us and comfort us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we continue in our 10 Tough Questions series. And today's question is, does our church love gay people? I begin with a story told by preacher Tony Campolo. Roger was gay. We all knew it and we all made his life miserable. When we passed him in the hall, we called out his name effeminately. We made crude gestures. We made him the brunt of cheap jokes. He never took showers in P.E. because he knew we'd whip him with our wet towels. I wasn't there, though, the day they dragged Roger into the shower room, shoved him into the corner, and curled up there, he cried and begged for mercy as five guys urinated on him. The report said that Roger went to bed that night as usual and that sometime around two in the morning he got up, went down to the basement of his house and hanged himself. On that day, wrote Campolo, I realized that I wasn't a Christian. I was a theologically sound evangelical, believed all points of the Apostles' Creed, declared Jesus to be my Savior. But if the Holy Spirit had actually been in me, I would have stood up for Roger. I cannot imagine how Roger must have felt. I've never experienced such humiliation. I can't imagine the fear and shame and despair that drove him to take his own life. But I guess that that woman that we read about in John's Gospel would have understood a bit of what Roger felt. She had been caught in a different sexual sin. She'd been caught in the, in the act of adultery, dragged before Jesus in front of a crowd of onlookers who wanted her stoned to death. And by the time she's paraded in front of everybody, maybe she wished that they would stone her to death. She was a sinner, unfaithful to her husband, caught in the very act, John tells us, a detail that sets our imaginations running and compounds the awfulness of it all. She had brought shame on herself and her husband and her family. Of course, the man she'd had sex with was no less guilty, but he's nowhere to be seen. And Jesus, who was without sin, Jesus, who knew every temptation yet did not succumb to it. Jesus, who one day will come again as the righteous, holy, powerful judge of the living and the dead. Jesus stood before this shamed, guilt-ridden woman and instead of answering her accusers, says nothing. Instead, he bends down and writes something in the dust with his finger. When they keep on questioning him, he straightens up and he says to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin cast the first stone. 
Actually, there was one person there without sin, but he wasn't picking up stones. He was writing something in the dust. I wish I knew what he was writing. In my mind's video playback of that riveting scene, did you ever do that, by the way? I highly commend it. Anyway, in my video, um, I imagine Jesus bending down, maybe so that not everyone could see, and I have him writing three words. I love you. What did God think of Roger? He loved him. What did God think of the guys who urinated on him? Well, he loved them too. And what does God say to each and every person here this morning? To those who are gay or lesbian, those who are straight, those who are guilty of self-righteous homophobia, those who think they are better than somebody else? Amazingly, shockingly, extraordinarily, God says, I love you. The truth is, we are all sinners. More than that, most of us, frankly, are also sexual sinners. Jesus said that everyone who looks at a, a woman um, with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. No one except Jesus has ever been sexually sinless. So we need to be very careful that we don't have any holier-than-thou attitudes of moral superiority in the area of human sexuality. We must let the first and last word this morning be love. If we really want to wrestle with hard questions about human sexuality, we must do so always and only in a spirit of love, charity, compassion, and grace. But knowing God's love for us, knowing God's compassion, doesn't mean that God is ambivalent about this. He's not. While Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in the act of adultery, neither did he condone it. He told her it had to stop. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. It's important that we are clear this morning about what the Bible has to say about sex. And for starters, we learn that God is in favor of it. After all, he invented it. God's good gift of sex is given for enjoyment and expression between a man and a woman in marriage. When God made us, he made us male and female. And right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, we find these words. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Notice the order of that, will you? Leave home, be united in marriage, become one flesh. Sadly, most people approach the biblical approach to sex in the reverse order. So they become one flesh before they leave home and before they get married. In 21st century America today, all the statistics tell us that most heterosexual people, Christians and non-Christians alike, are having sex outside the context of marriage. And I believe that Jesus would say to all those who claim to be his followers, like he did to the woman caught in adultery, it's got to stop. 
Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Today, politicians tell us everyone should be free to love the one you want to love, which I agree with as a simple statement, except that's not what they really mean. They really mean you should be able to have sex with whomever you want to have sex with, except They're not even saying that, and nor do they really believe that either. You see, most people today agree that it's not okay to have sex with anyone who might consent to it. Fathers should not have sex with their daughters. Brothers should not have sex with their sisters. Husbands should not have sex with the wives of their best friends, nor shepherds with their sheep. Okay, sheep can't give consent, but but the rest can. But where do we get those notions from? We get them from the Bible, alongside the other less popular ideas about sex. The point is, there is a right, moral, wholesome, good and godly context for the enjoyment and practice of sexual intercourse. And the church absolutely affirms that. And the scriptures affirm and celebrate that in and only within the context of marriage. Marriage is a profound and sacred mystery between one woman and one man for life. And sex is for marriage. And though many fall short of this, the standard remains for everyone. So, premarital sex, extramarital sex... Gay sex are all contrary to God's will. And that is why the church throughout history and in the vast majority of the world today opposes gay marriage. Marriage is a creation ordinance given by God, good for all people of all faiths or none. And it's not for us simply to redefine it, whether for political expediency or out of genuine compassion for our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. One of the most voiced and in some ways most compelling arguments advanced today in the public debate about gay marriage is that your sexuality is not a choice. Therefore, we should not discriminate against people based on who they are. Well, I agree. We should not discriminate against people based on who they are. But we have to draw a distinction between who we are And what we do. I don't believe for one moment that I chose my own sexual identity as a person who's heterosexual. I was born that way. And while I will concede that there are a whole host of reasons and factors and influences, whether they be biological, emotional, genetic, or circumstantial, that may play into who we are as we go through puberty and into adulthood, I have never knowingly met anyone who has chosen to be gay. Now, that said, we all choose what we do with our affections, whether we are attracted to people of the opposite sex or the same sex. One of the specific questions I received from a parishioner was this, is it sinful to be gay? I believe the answer is no. It's not sinful, so long as we draw that distinction between that which we desire and that which we, 
we choose to do with those desires. Society may and is choosing to confer all manner of rights and privileges on people, but having sex with whomever one chooses is not a God-given inalienable right. On the contrary, God gives all men and women, calls all men and women, to worship and honor and obey him. And yet God does not force and coerce us to do that. Indeed, if we are hell-bent on ignoring his commands, God will let us do so. In that rather disturbing passage from Romans chapter 1 this morning, we read of how God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that, I submit to you, is exactly what is going on today in America. The truth about God is being exchanged for lies. Things that God prohibits, individuals and communities and even states are allowing, celebrating, and applauding. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, Paul speaks of women exchanging natural intercourse for unnatural, and likewise men consumed with passion for one another. I know this is not comfortable teaching, but remember what we heard in week one of this series? All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But look carefully at those hard verses in Romans 1. Yes, they are unequivocal in their admonishment against homosexual practice. There's no getting away from that. It's clear. But they're not just about sex. There are all manners of ways it listed there in which people fall short of God's standards. Did you see what else we heard read out in that list? Those who are full of envy, teenagers, are you following? It includes those who are rebellious towards their parents in the same list. Those who are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Those who know what God commands, they know that gossiping is wrong and being insolent and proud is wrong, but guess what? They don't care. They're going to live however they choose, No one is going to tell them how to live, and they are proud of their wickedness. You know, we live in what more and more feels like a rights-based culture. But I want to say this, what's happened to our duties? What's happened to the most basic relationship of creature and creator? We have no rights over God and his law. And just in case we're tempted to think that all this hard teaching applies to other people, much of it applies or has applied to us. In one of the other passages where Paul is writing to the church and speaking against homosexual immorality and other immoral practices, he says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
Thanks be to God for his mercy and love and grace and forgiveness to us. Well, I want next to say a brief word in response to another question that asked, why should we hold on to the Bible's view of homosexuality when our views about the role of women and slavery have changed over the years? Well, I can only deal with this very briefly, but I I would respond by saying that whereas we see a clear development within Scripture as regards slavery and the role of women, moving in the direction of the changes we now take for granted, there is no such development in the Bible's view of homosexuality. And it's also worth stressing that we're not comparing like with like. The existence of slavery and the roles of women are simply not in the same category as homosexual behavior. With respect to women, there is a general movement in the scriptures towards a greater and more affirming role for women from the beginning to the end. From having occasional important roles in the Old Testament We see women rising to prominence in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles, far beyond what might be expected given the culture. And with respect to slavery, while it's true that there were slaves in Israel, Israel did not have a slave economy. And the Bible protected slaves by all kinds of regulations. And throughout the Bible, we see God's rescue plan for mankind expressed in terms of freedom from slavery. And why Christians didn't see this trajectory of Scripture on the matter of slavery is a black mark on our history. But the trajectory is unmistakably there. With respect to homosexuality, there is no such movement in Scripture, which in both the Old Testament and New is clear and unchanging. But I think I need to address another question. For anyone listening to this who is gay or lesbian, where is the hope? Where is this love we've talked about? It's all very well understanding that the Bible is clear on this matter, but now what? Living a chaste life is hard for most people. But at least the single heterosexual person can hope that one day he or she may marry and enjoy sexual intimacy. The gay Christian has no such hope to look forward to unless they experience some change to their sexual orientation. You know, with God, nothing is impossible, and there is hope for change and restoration. I know there are people with same-sex attractions whom God has enabled to develop attractions for the opposite sex and even go on to marry. I know personally at least two people who give powerful testimony to exactly that. And I've read of many others with similar stories, and I thank God for that, and I rejoice with them. But I also know people who have prayed and begged and pleaded for God to change their sexual orientation, and he has not done so. It is not helpful for us to offer false hope. It is a mystery why God answers the prayers of some the way they want them to be answered, and yet not for others. That's a mystery in in many things when we bring them 
to the Lord. You know, St. Paul himself prayed three times for some unknown thing that tormented him to be taken from him, but it was not. Instead, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So where is the hope? Where is the love for the person who is gay? The hope and the love and the grace of God can and should be found right here. God calls you and me to love one another even as Christ has loved us. Which brings us back to the question this morning and how it was posed. Does our church love gay people? We began with a challenge to love and we need to end there also. You know, I suspect that many of you here this morning probably agree with this teaching. But we must do more than agree with it. We have to live it. If we have had a spirit of condemnation against gay and lesbian people, we need to confess that and ask God to forgive us and give us instead a spirit of compassion. For is that not what Jesus demonstrated towards that woman caught in her sexual sin? We are a worshiping community that is made up of all sorts of people. We gather here united not by our doctrinal or sexual purity, but by God's grace. We gather here in all manner of states of weakness, brokenness, sinfulness, in every conceivable area of our lives, sexually, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And yet, we who know God's love, we who have experienced his mercy, we who have been forgiven, we who struggle daily with temptation, are called to love as Christ has loved us. Can we do that? Yes, by God's grace we can. The question is, will we? Before I finish, I want to introduce you to someone who is new to Ascension and is himself a gay man, though committed to living a celibate life. Wesley Hill, if you'd please come forward. Uh, Wes is presently teaching New Testament theology at Trinity School for Ministry and uh, has just written a book that I enjoyed reading about homosexuality and being faithful as Christians in that. And, uh, but Wes, would you please tell us something a little bit about your own story? Uh, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Wesley and I grew up in a Christian family and heard the gospel from a very young age and knew uh, when I was very young that I wanted to know the forgiveness of Christ and the salvation that Christ offered and gave my life to him and was nurtured in that faith as a child. And when I became a teenager and, and went through puberty, I found that all my attractions and affections were for members of my own sex. And I began to look for ways to bring this before God. And I talked with Christian friends and pastors and counselors who pointed me to the gospel and reminded me that there was hope for me as I sought to live out obedience to God's will as it's given to us in scripture. Okay, thank you. And just I have one other question for you. How can we do a better job of loving and welcoming those who are gay, either in our midst or just in general? I think one of, one of the, 
dominant threads in our culture is the idea that we're either in a romantic relationship and a partnership and we have love, or we're outside of that kind of relationship and we're living without love. And I think as a Christian community, as a church, we can say that's a false choice. That's a false alternative. That those of us who are living chaste lives, who are living celibate lives, can find love and community in the fellowship of the church. And so we, as a community, are called to be hospitable, to extend friendship to one another, and to be intimate with one another, whatever our marital status. And so my hope at Ascension is, is to grow into that kind of community, to grow into uh, a life of hospitality and friendship that isn't dependent on whether I'm married or not married. Thank you very much, Wes. We're delighted to have you in our midst. The topic that we've been addressing today may be a very hard topic for some of you here this morning for all kinds of reasons. Maybe you yourself are gay or are struggling with your sexuality or you have family members for whom that would be true of or friends. And some may have been hurt by comments or actions or attitudes, whether in the church or, or elsewhere. And you know, if I've said anything from the pulpit or, uh, or raised things that are difficult or you want to talk about, then please don't go home without resolving to talk about them either today with me or, or with Wes or with one of the other clergy or you can shoot us an email. But I'm going to close this morning with three things. Three things I want you to take away today. And the first is this, and it's profound. God loves you. Let me say that again. God loves you. And the second is this, that we are all called to love one another, even as Christ has loved us. And the final thing I want you to take away is that there is hope. There is hope for each and every one to find appropriate, authentic intimacy in this worshipping community. It doesn't mean we'll always get it right. We won't, because we're broken people. But this is a place where we can be real where we can find deep fulfillment in our lives with God and in pursuing our vocations as people made in the image of God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that you have made us men and women in your image. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the love and the hope that we have in Christ and in this community. Please help us to live lives that are pure. Help our teens and young adults to wait until they are married before being sexually intimate. Help all those who are single to remain chaste and to find wholesome intimacy in their relationships with others. Especially, we pray, for those who are attracted to members of the same sex. Please give them a special measure of your grace and love and help those who are married to stay faithful in their thoughts, words, and actions. In praying these things, we ask you, Lord, to have mercy upon us, to forgive us for our past failings, to make us clean 
and to give us your grace to go on our way and from now on to sin no more. Give us all the faith, the hope, and the love that we need to follow you and draw others to you. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.